This is the Danger Close Podcast. Beyond the Books with me, Jack Carr. Welcome to the Danger Close Podcast, an Ironclad original presented by Navy Federal Credit Union. Before I kick things off, I wanted to thank everyone who made my latest novel, Only the Dead, number one on the New York Times list in hardcover, ebook combined, and audio. It is sincerely appreciated. My guest today is my friend, Andy Stump. Andy and I went through Hell Week together back in the day and have remained friends for quite a while now. You might know him from Cleared Hot Podcast, the Change Agents Podcast, and on Instagram, he is Andy Stump 212. And now, without further ado, Andy Stump. What's up, man? Same old stuff, different day. (laughs) <laughs> Thanks for hopping on. All right. What's, uh, how's uh, everything going with the coffee shop? I'll tell you what, that pour over that I had, that's the, probably the only time in the last few years that I haven't churched up my coffee with honey yeah. and cream. Like, uh, who did that again? Who was, who was the person that did that? She was awesome. She did it right. Was it Tara? Might've been Tara. If, uh, anyway, the pour over from you guys was amazing. Yeah. It's the only way to go. I mean, honestly, I don't have the patience for the weighing and measuring. I, and I also feel like if you eyeball it, you're going to get like 98% of the benefit. And I know the staff, maybe I shouldn't say this, but I will. The staff hates them because it takes like seven minutes per drink. It and took if, a while. If a bunch, and if a bunch of them come, because it's it's like weigh measure, yeah, a little bit of water, X amount of time period, yeah. a little bit of water. So like when orders come in, especially a lot of pour overs. And it's usually my middle son, Tyler, who ends up pouring them. He's over there just cussing up a storm. I'm like, Hey man, inside boys. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it's the best expression of coffee. I agree. I agree. Uh, but yeah, 300 in front of you, that thing will, that thing will wake you up and clean you out at the same time. If you know what I'm saying a little. Yeah. The first time I got these was like, I don't know, two or three years ago, maybe uh, two years ago, maybe. And uh, I had three of them in one day. No, that was no, 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 <laughs> no, yeah, no that's not acceptable. It woke me up. That got me going. <laughs> yeah, but I realized I probably sleep? should get yeah, heart palpitations. I, I was going, but I, you know, I think, uh, yeah, I, I cut back to two a day. So I think I'm good. No, I don't do two a day. I just one a day. If I, if, yeah. yeah, fortunately they're sugar free, you know, so you don't have to worry about that. <laughs> Are they sugar free? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's a hundred percent Colombian coffee, natural caffeine and focus. Yeah. It doesn't say yeah. anything about sugar on there. Veteran owned rich mocha. Love it, man. But, uh, but that was awesome. How's the uh, coffee shop been going? I mean, you guys have done, Good. you guys had uh, Montana knife company in there doing a sharpening thing. You had Mike Glover up there doing his book. Which, Yeah. So his, that was this last weekend. I know you just did the, uh, the kind of the official tour for your book, but man, we have got to get you up here. We are selling. I, first off, I was shocked by the number of books that we have sold in just the week we've had them. But then I realized you don't often see books in coffee shops. Like I've never bought a book in a coffee shop, but I bet it's because I've never seen a book in a coffee shop. Yeah. We have people, I I was working the register this morning. I happened to be in for a cup of coffee and we were getting, there's been fires up in Alberta and this full hotshot crew from Mesa, Arizona was driving down in their huge rigs. And I was just, we were dying laughing. Like what, what mileage you get on those things? Like two or three. They're like, no, seven, maybe 10. Oh man. But, uh, you know, buying books, passing through and the number of people coming through and I'm watching people buy books and sit down and start reading them right there. Nice. So 
I wanted to pitch actually the idea to you. I want to get some of your books up at the shop, but we have to have you come do a signing. Mike had a line outside for two hours that yeah. never stopped. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was, so, uh, it was wild on this last book tour and, uh, I feel so, so fortunate. I, I finished up in my last one was in New Jersey and it was every other person was law enforcement. It was amazing. Yep. A firefighter. It was so cool. Um, I needed to bring a big box of, of coins next time, but, uh, I, I ran out really quick, but it was every other person at least was a cop and you could tell. And I'd, they walk up and I'd be like, let me guess what you do. Cause New York yep. cops and New Jersey cops, they have that look. And, uh, but it was Awesome. Firefighters, cops. They also have couple. their 5'11 pants on, which is kind of a tell. <sighs> I don't know if these guys had 5'11. It was more like haircuts, demeanor, look. Like, it just, yeah. you know, you feel it. And uh, But it was awesome. I had a Secret Service guy, a couple of Secret Service guys come through, DEA, FBI, uh, but mostly cops and uh, and firefighters, which was really cool. Um, and I talked to those guys for a little bit, but, uh, but they had that look. And a lot of my book yeah. signings have that, but... New York and New Jersey right there. I think there's a, quite a few police officers in that general vicinity. And, uh, and yeah, that was, that was cool. But, uh, what else you had? Montana knife company came in and you did like a sharpening thing. Yeah. Um, it was, I let Josh pick the date and he picked it with uh, a softball tournament for his daughter, but we came in, had brought him in in the morning. They had knives for sale, which is nice. anybody who tries to buy their stuff, depending on when you do, it's, it's pretty quick and you actually yeah. have to have some pretty ninja uh, internet skills. I've had so many things ripped out of my cart there because, you know, I don't have it auto saved or by the time I enter my card, it's like your card is now empty. I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. I just, I give up. Yeah. So he came and he sharpened knives and taught about sharpening knives. Mm-hmm. He probably sharpened hundred plus knives, which was amazing. Um, and I actually think those events, that's kind of the key to the deeper roots in the community, even with, you know, Glover. So he, we actually had a full weekend. He came up and did a pillars of preparedness where he talks a little bit about mindset. Um, and then we did a quick, like 20 minutes. This is how you apply a tourniquet. Yeah. Um, and then the next day we did a personal protection course. Uh, then he did his official, uh, book signing in the afternoon. And then the following day we did a leadership engagement, very similar to like the one, uh, you, uh, and I, and yeah. Mike did at his HQ Yep. was two years ago, maybe yeah. while he had one of his uh, head instructors teaching a defensive pistol course. So they had a pretty heavy Fieldcraft survival influence in the Valley last weekend, but it was awesome. And all of that was based around the coffee shop. And here's the thing, like, I'm going to get some of your books and either you can come and sign them. <laughs> You'll sign them. Sign them. <laughs> you might have a bigger line, you know, <laughs> those things are rare. They're rare. You know, yeah. <laughs> People ask me to sign your book in the coffee shop at least once a week. Yeah. Hey, hey, go for it. Go for it. <laughs> It's all oh, great. It's all great. Uh, but that's, that's, that's the, the key. I, I think looking at something and looking at it like the battle space, looking at what other coffee shops in your case aren't doing. Uh, how do you capitalize on, on momentum and look for gaps in the enemy's defenses? How do you adapt? Um, how do you connect with an audience or a, uh, a group of people that like coffee or are connected to you via the podcast or feel craft survival or the community in general? And it just allows you to build that, uh, that audience and that, uh, that core group of people that are going to hang out in there, get a book open it, have a cup of coffee, head to work yeah. or whatever, whatever it might be. Um, but it's the same, similar to what I did with, with publishing, just looking at it like the, like the battlefield and figuring out how to adapt to, uh, to this changing environment and what can I do that authors couldn't do in 1985, 95, even 2005. But, uh, man, I saw you post about the motorcycle trip recently. Yes. So when's that coming up? I would say we will leave to take the motorcycles up to Alaska in late May. Um, and to give people a, a little bit more of a broad 
architecture. I'm at, I'm at a phase in my life where I just want to do something cool every year. That's kind of the goal of let's just put something on the calendar. And honestly, even if we shifted it or it wasn't able to happen, it's more about putting something up there that holds you accountable. Um, and I really I enjoy like the planning of it and kind of nerding out on the I've always been a gear guy, right? Like we used to get issued stuff and I would go take it apart and move a pocket a quarter of an inch. You know, I just always have nerded out on gear. And my business partner in the coffee shop, uh, he actually knows far more about coffee than me. Um, he did some business in Australia, lived there for a while, got very deep into the coffee scene there, which I think it's fair to say is a little bit more advanced than the U.S. Really? coffee scene. They take it very serious, okay. um, which I think is amazing. And there's a lot of like little bespoke coffee shops. It's, you know, you're going to get leather aprons and wax mustaches for sure. Uh, and probably a dissertation on the tasting notes of the coffee, none of which I'm capable of doing, nor actually quite frankly care about. But he rode uh, a bunch, you know, Australia is huge. You mm. People think it's small because it may look like that way on a map. Um, having been there in January, it's the same distance, if not more, to fly from L.A. to New York. It's a hike for sure. It's almost the size of Texas, from what I understand. Yeah, it's Just huge. <laughs> it, yeah. Most people are like, oh, yeah, it's like Texas plus maybe uh, Kentucky. I'm like, no, it's basically like the United States. It's a continent. Yeah. And uh, he's deep into, into motorcycles. And his original idea that we had talked about was the Tierra del Fuego ride, mm -hmm. which would be the tip of uh, South America, which was not too far away, actually, from where we launched down in Punta Arenas to go out on the 777. That's where we flew out of for Antarctica. That's a hike, though. Um, you're talking multiple countries crossed. You're talking issues with everything from cartels to bribery to corruption. And most people, from my understanding, don't do it straight. They'll drive a certain distance, park the bike somewhere secure, come home for even months mm. sometimes, and then go back. So not as accessible. Awesome idea, though. Like, I like the concept, but I don't I don't have X number of months to dedicate to that. Right. And uh, I was looking around online, and there's a community called uh, it's the iron butt challenge. Yeah. And they have a variety of rides. There's like LA to New York. It's coast to coast and like 48 hours oh, wow. on a motorcycle. They'll wow. have a, like a thousand miles in a day. And then there cool. is, uh, this, um, Alaska to Florida or people could do it in the other direction, which mm. to me is insane because then you end up in remote Alaska and you still have to get home. <laughs> He's starting in Alaska we're going to go to the tip of Florida, the southern tip of Florida. I'm like 45 minutes away from an airport. Yeah. You know, I can ship my bike back or drop it off at a dealership and ride it back some other time. If we went the other way, if we went Florida to Alaska, I think I would just ride that thing into the ocean and hitchhike <laughs> home to Fairbanks or something like yeah. that. So it will be the tip uh Prudhoe Bay, the most northern accessible place in Alaska, conventionally accessible. I'm sure there's places you can go elsewhere, but this road actually takes you to Prudhoe Bay all the way down to the southern tip of Florida. Um, and I'm not, it's not a like an idea of Denver and I's. It was, I mean, the idea to do it, we were talking about just setting something on the calendar, like I said, but uh, I think it'll take us, I'm guessing like two weeks because um, I'm not in a rush. I want to experience the whole thing. We're going to have, uh, Fieldcraft is going to provide a Sprinter van that's kind of decked out with uh, mechanical ability in case we have any issues. And they're also going to provide a media truck as well. So we'll be able to capture a bunch of the stuff. What we do with it later on, I have no idea. I'm not, don't really have a burning desire to make some huge production out of it either, but you might as well capture some of those epic moments and that epic scenery. And 
Yeah, man. It's just kind of like a personal adventure, you know, that I can put on the calendar, hold myself accountable and plan backwards and do all the stuff I need to do, whether that's technical proficiency on the bike or just physically training hard so you can do the ride. Yeah. And two weeks sounds quick for that. Have you watched the long way up, long way down, long way around? Yes. I've watched the long way down, long way around. I haven't watched the one yet where they are using the electric bikes. Yeah. Um, I heard some, yeah, you know, I don't know how well they cover it in that, but I know some people who were not directly involved, but you know, you're trying to do this adventure on electric bikes, but you have to have three gas powered vehicles towing generators to actually provide the power to do so. It's like, yeah, what do we do? It you came ac- it came across in the show, kind of, yeah. uh, you know, they were pretty honest about it. And if you weren't directly talking about it, it was hard to miss the Land Cruiser uh, that was accompanying them or the Sprinter van accompanying them or to realize that they had to go in and put, I mean, it was a, it was a proof of concept type thing where they, the Rivian, yeah. was it Rivian that did it or Harley or both, whatever. They it was Harley. They're on Harleys. They're on Harleys, but Rivian had the, yeah. one of the trucks that they were supported with also. And uh, one of the yeah. early versions, I think, but I think they had to go in and actually place these charging stations ahead of time all the way up from the tip of South America all the way they went to LA um, but I think they had to put these charging stations in but it'd be cool for you to see anyway because it does speak to some of the things that you just mentioned about uh, bribery and passports and visas and then having to go around certain areas because of the cartel and the threats of kidnapping and, and all the rest of it they have to go send some guys ahead to buy a bus and then outfit it to like hide them as they go through certain parts just so that they don't get kind of pulled over and kidnapped. And it looks like it's, it's kind of like what we used to do, like blending in, you know, so it looks like a kind of a local ish type thing, but inside's a little nicer. They put the bikes in the back and they have a place to sleep and, and all that. So, uh, but it was interesting. I loved long way around. Saw that, I mean, when that, when it first came out and then long way down, obviously through Africa. And then, uh, then this one was interesting because of the, uh, they tried to do it electric and you could tell like it, the whole, the first half of it was all about them trying to f- charge these bikes. And so yep. it was kind of, it was, uh, yeah. So it, it didn't, wasn't a good sales pitch for an electric bike. I will say that, but they might've done it a few years too early. If that, that technology wasn't quite there, I think it would still it's be still not difficult, there. but it was more yeah. difficult five years ago. Whenever they filmed that, I think it was five years ago or so. Like the lightning truck. Um, I know Glover has some experience in that. And, uh, we have a mutual friend at Diamondback Covers and they got a lightning truck and they were going to do like this bug out series. And, you know, and all of this mileage and all of the distance on the electric vehicles, it's if you have like a 12 ounce cup of coffee with you. Yeah. If you actually load that thing down or you need to tow something, you might be able to make it to the next charging station. So in concept, I get it. Um, execution, good yeah. luck. <laughs> yeah, interesting. A buddy just got one on his ranch in uh, in Colorado, so he's going to start giving it a test out there, and it'll be interesting to see what it's like just going around the property. He's curious how the uh, the elk and, and mule deer are going to respond to it. Versus that'll uh, be great. You know, so don't hook a trailer to it though, unless yeah. you want to get stuck somewhere. <laughs> I don't think. Yeah, I don't think the trailer is a, is part of the plan, but it'll be interesting to see how it holds up just only on dirt roads, <laughs> rutted roads. You know, kind of getting yep. beat up out there. Uh, and then plus, I mean, you had, what's, what's the guy you had on your podcast that wrote the book about, uh, mining and batteries and, and, uh, and all the Sid hearth. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, the cobalt mining it, you know, it's, what would be the best way to describe this? Headlines are, you know, and it's easy to get lost in the headline, like got to save the environment with electric vehicles. We're destroying the environments. Okay. And people, if they only go the headline deep, it's really easy to think 
and I and I do believe that people are are trying to make the best decisions that they can. I don't think that people are operating from a position of malice. But you go and let's say you buy your Tesla, and I know there are a variety of other electronic manufacturers. That's just the one I'm most common with, so I'll use it as an example. And you tell yourself that you are doing your part to save the planet. And I would say, do a little bit of research about where that battery comes from. And that episode with Sid Harth, and he was on Rogan's podcast talking about it as well. It is a very close example of modern day slavery. I mean, we're talking thousands of people in a cobalt mine who, spoiler alert, cobalt, not good for you. And they're out there in like sandals and t-shirts and shorts mining this stuff by hand just outside of the clean factory walls of international cobalt suppliers. It's like, oh, I wonder where they're selling this stuff. I wonder wonder where it actually goes. Yeah. And it's the same thing, you know, like our anxiety rectangles that yeah. we can't live without. It's yeah. the battery. Cobalt is a, is a mineral that allows batteries to not only regulate their temperature, but I believe uh, maintain their charge for longer as well. So it's kind of until we find a technological solution that's better, it's it's kind of the way it is. And it's really easy to think that you're making environmentally conscious decisions while at the same time, literally enabling modern day slavery. Yeah. I have his book upstairs. I haven't read it yet, um, but you had him on change agents. And yep. then it, does he focus in that book and in your conversation on, is it on Africa or does he look at China? What does he, what does he, does he talk about both? So, well, there's a tie to both, right? There's a nexus there because a lot of the mines that are in Africa are in fact owned by China. Like the the influence, the Chinese influence is huge there, um, but it was specifically focusing um, in Africa because of the cobalt saturation that is actually there. But yeah, you know, you follow the money um, and oftentimes, especially when it comes to production, it's going to go right back to China. Yeah. Wild. So you guys are going to do it on your ride, uh, not on electric bikes. Uh, Hell no. What did, what did you end up getting? the shit out of the environment <laughs> so I don't en enable modern day slavery. That's you know it. what I'm talking about? Uh, good for you. Good for you. I'm proud of you. <laughs> uh, what, uh, what, is this the same bike that you got like last year or the year before or is this a new one that you're going to use? Same manufacturer. So I really like KTM bikes. It was my first uh, dirt bike way back in the day. And then uh, a couple years ago, I got a KTM 890. Okay. And Fantastic bike. I still love, I love the hell out of that bike, but um, Denver and I were talking about it for a ride of this length, because I think instead of trying to go the most direct route, I think we're probably going to follow the Rockies all the way down to probably Arizona and then haul ass East. It's a lot of, it's a lot of time in the saddle. I wanted, and I think it's smarter to have a bigger bike with a more upgraded suspension. You can carry more without weighing it down and it'll just absorb a little bit of the, uh, not the damage, but just kind of the wear and tear that we as the riders in the bike are going to take. So we upgraded, still have the 890 and, and the thing is a scalpel. I absolutely love it in the back country here in Montana, but we want the uh, 1290 Super Adventure R, which is uh, KTM's high-end uh, adventure bike, bigger, beefier, better electronic suite. Um, the thing's pretty badass. Yeah. Nice, man. Yeah, that's awesome. I have the R9T BMW, I have the KTM 350, um, all these things I rarely ride. Um, because yeah, I was going to say, how much time do you have to ride? Like zero. I'm going to ride this afternoon just because I'm going to go pick it up as the, now that the snow has melted uh, from nice. it, from its storage container and take it back up here. But uh, but you have some friends around here that, that ride, so we do just some short 
rides just for breakfast um, every now and again. But uh, absolutely, absolutely love it. So I'm starting, I'm collecting them. There's a, there's a, yeah, there's a garage full of motorcycles that never get ridden over there. But uh, I've looking, I love looking at all the older stuff, like the old BMWs from like the '60s yeah. and '70s and early '80s, like that that sort of thing. It's fun just to to putt around uh, here on them because you can get to the back roads. And I like going about these days. Like I, like I had my first um, Harley. I, I'm pretty sure it was my E5 reenlistment bonus, perhaps an E4 yes. reenlistment bonus Corvette instead of <laughs> instead of investing it right into Harley. I mean, that's which most of us did back then. So had that fat boy from. From back in the day, early 2000s, I think it was, and uh, and I loved it. But I do now, I really like going about 40, 45, mountain roads, yeah. you know, twists and turns, that sort of a thing, instead of on, I just don't like getting on that freeway with all those big rigs going by or me passing them and just, you know, rocks flying up. Yep. I, I let my much prefer. I, I try to limit my time on the freeway like that. You have to do it but to get to some of these roads. But if I can avoid it, I like to just... Be chilling, then, and uh, that's that's the speed that I like to ride these days. So that's just kind of how it goes. But that's gonna be an awesome trip. Yeah, I like how you let it slide that you are a collector now. It's a very pretentious, douchey author thing to do. Like, oh yes, I, I have many motorcycles. My garage yeah. smells of leather, and <laughs> motor oil. <laughs> no, it's more of like that connection to the past. And I'm gonna get them into this. I think into one of these next. Uh, next novels or one of the next series uh, on Amazon, like weave them in there as well, because it speaks to some character development. Uh, like if you have a, a crotch rocket and that's your thing and you have three of those or whatever, like that tells you something. And then if you have off, off-road bikes or you have the, yep. a, uh, the, uh, the Honda Goldwing, that tells you something like, just like pistols and, and all the rest of it, it all tells a yep. story about a character, but uh, you guys well, can do a show. Stuff. Yeah, the off-road stuff ties actually – it has an operational tie-in. I mean, a lot of units were playing around with that. And you want to talk about a great way to cover some distance on an offset? Like, that's what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, go back to the Delta Force Chuck Norris. And uh, and then some of those bikes, like, you know, some of the ones were not too dissimilar that uh, the yeah. guys used back in uh, in Iraq and Afghanistan. But uh, you guys could turn it into a show, like, just like the long way around, long way up, that sort of a thing. I mean, you're going to have all the content. It'll be, You have a truck following you. And what do they do? They throw some GoPros on their helmets. They have the truck following yeah. another guy. You guys got I another mean, person on a motorcycle with you that's filming as no, well? No, like I don't want it. I don't want it to be. I don't want it to be like that. Yeah. You know, I mean, don't get me wrong. I got nothing but respect for what Ewan and Charlie did on all three of those. But also they were probably able to offset the cost and make a shit ton of money by selling those to streaming platforms. I don't want to involve... I don't want to involve that much. I don't want it to be about that. Like the chase vehicle is going to be my dad and my wife, right? Like it's just an, an opportunity for my dad to do something cool. I don't want to be away from Leah for that long. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, especially with modern cameras, like some GoPros, and I just got one a new Insta360 camera. Holy cow, man. What's like Insta360? What's that? Uh, it's just another, it's like uh, GoPro makes a 360 camera. It, Insta is a, a brand name, Insta360. Oh. The software that comes with it to edit on a laptop or even on your phone, I mean, throw one of those things on there, get some big SIM cards, switch them out every day and let like the media truck, like put it on a hard drive and just let them run. You know, we can figure it out in the end, but man, you can get, you know, 6K footage on some of these things or 4K at a very minimum. And I mean, I guess we could in the end turn it into something, but that's not going to be my primary goal for sure. I'll probably capture a lot of content around the training and leading up to it, but I do want to be present and enjoying it mm-hmm. on the ride itself as opposed to like, Hey, we need to, 
frame up the shot. Right. You know? Right. <laughs> exactly. Pull off here. We got to go back and ride it again. We didn't get it with the drone or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure I mean, we can do all we can mess around with all that stuff. And I'm sure there would be places where it'd be worth it to do that. Yeah. And again, it's nice not having a, hey, we're trying to break a record of any kind. It's just an experience. <laughs> we can take as much time as we want to and do yeah. as much of that stuff as we want. That's awesome. Or not at all. Yeah. Speaking of breaking records. So this last this last year, the thing you put on the calendar was uh, the uh, the seven jumps, seven continents, seven days, which uh, you yep. did in six and and uh, what, six in a few hours, something like that. Somebody had told me when we finished, it was like six days, six hours, and six minutes. And I was like, listen, there's no way that's possible. <laughs> We're too convenient. It's a good talking I mean, point. Yeah, it's a great talking point. However, no, there's no way that that's possible. I guess it all depends on when you started the stopwatch and when you stopped the stopwatch. I don't know. That would be I'm gonna give it to you guys. fortuitous timing. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm going to give it to you. Less on. than seven days. A little less than seven yeah. days. That was a plan. That was a plan. We put that on the calendar Damn, so we did that in January of 23. I think we started talking about that in like 21, yeah. late 21. But yeah, goal, uh, seven skydives and seven continents in seven days, even though the trip took much longer than that. And uh, yeah, it's pretty wild. It's 40, it's like 44 or 47,000 miles flown in economy class, except for one leg, because uh, we had to manage the FAA NOTAM system shutting down in Miami for the wow. first time in the history of the FAA NOTAM system, because of course, why not? Wow. But it was pretty wild. Um, so yeah, we went uh, Antarctica to Santiago, Santiago to Miami, Miami to Barcelona, Barcelona to Cairo, Cairo to UAE, UAE to Australia. And uh, yeah, tested gravity in each of those locations. I'm happy to report that it works. The world is in fact round. For those of you that were questioning it, there is no ice wall in Antarctica. Um, and that's about it. I mean, that's a brief synopsis. Yeah, man, that was awesome to follow you guys on that trip. Did you send uh, like an advanced team to each of those places or was a lot no. of it done like phone calls and foot and pictures and, and uh, emails and that sort of like, did anyone go to Antarctica first to take a look around and say, okay, we can do this here. Or are you just phone calls, emails, setting it up? Antarctica was the most challenging. I would love to say that we were able to send an advanced team, but we were trying to do it at, from an economic perspective, you know, like as economically as possible, because the goal was not to spend money on us. The goal was to raise money to give to Fold of Honor. Um, so the skydiving world is small. And if you know, it's like six degrees of Kevin Bacon. So we were able to identify people who had experience in every one of those areas. Antarctica like it's just prohibitive to send an advanced team down there. It probably would cost you to send an advanced person. Yeah. 50 grand probably wow. just because it's not like there's a, right. you know, a rotator flight every day and you're just going to hop in and look around. So the cool thing about Antarctica though, uh, one of the main partners in it is a guy named Mike McDowell and he is a fascinating human being. You know, he started off as a scientist. I actually had him on uh cleared hot while we were there, I think we talked for like three and a half hours. And I wish I had just put a microphone on the night before mm -hmm. because, I mean, he's telling stories about going to the bottom of the Arianas Trench. He was the first person to see the Bismarck through a submarine with, yeah, he like uh, the dude who does uh, the Avatar, James Cameron, like uh -huh. he's partnered with him in a submarine company. He's been uh, to the bottom of the ocean at the North Pole. He's been to the North Pole, uh, you know, on the ice. He was a researcher 
you know, you know, surveying 3000 penguin. Like it's insane. Yeah. It's insane. The amount of, and he just kept going and going and going. And now he's one of the partners in ALE, the Inarctic Logistics and Exploration, which is a company that facilitates everything that we wanted to do. Wow. And they had done skydiving operations before. So we did not have to reinvent the wheel. I thought more people had jumped there. Mike thinks that there has been less than 25 people who have ever skydived in Antarctica, which was pretty cool. Yeah. But um, we interfaced with their organization to get as much information as possible. Same thing at every one of the other locations. Like the pyramid for me, oh, the jumps over the pyramid was the coolest jump that I've ever done. I thought it was going to be Antarctica. And Antarctica was super cool. Um, but I just, I mean, how do you describe looking down and you're falling towards the Great Pyramid of Giza. It's like, yeah. hmm, tough to beat. And even that, they do that enough that there is an organization that you can talk with. It's not like we had to figure out permissions to do all of this yeah. stuff. And uh, other than that, all of the jumps were at drop zones. And again, skydiving world is small. So you know people, you tell them about what we need. We scheduled in advance. We had like 18 months to plan it. So by the time it came to execution, we we were good to go. And we did not send advanced teams. Yeah, man. Yeah, those photos from the pyramids were incredible. And people can go to your Instagram and scroll down a little bit to see yep. those. Absolutely amazing. Folds of Honor, incredible organization. So uh, that was a cool trip to to follow along. And uh, I think, gosh, was it the first people to try to jump in Antarctica that had like a couple of them burn in? I don't know if it was the first, uh, but yeah, there was a group. And I think six people left the aircraft and four of them decided to uh, test the limits of what happens with a rapid deceleration. Yeah. Because and well and you know, did you ever go to free fall? Yeah, there All were right. two guys died in my class. Yeah, I had to check because obviously, I mean, you were, you were well, you were well behind me yeah. in training. They uh, we started together, so I didn't know if you had actually made it to that pipeline. Well, but, team team five <laughs> decided to send uh, me and another buddy who were dear friends with Mikey about a, yeah. a week after he died, and so it was that's like, rough. Yeah, so that that was is rough. interesting. So I bet you, so you're saying that your class, a student and instructor died. I bet yeah, you this heads. instructor was probably chasing the student or they, oh, they hit each other. Hit yeah, heads. that's another thing. Yeah, they hit So heads. in Antarctica with these four people who died, they did not have automatic activation devices, the technology of Cypress or Vigil or the FF2 in the old days of the military. There's not a lot of visual references. It's so white. Yeah. And you can tell skydiving, like, hey, things are looking a little bit bigger than they were when I exited the aircraft. Maybe I'll take a look down at my old altimeter mm -hmm. and see what we're at. Yeah. From my understanding, the four of them kind of burned in, like holding hands. Wow. Oh. And then I believe the other, I believe the two that lived were the ones who did have a Cypress and they fired. Oh, wow. It was it, they were saved. They did not save themselves. Jeez, man. Yeah, that is wild. And uh, you guys went, bam, there, then South America, and then what, Florida, yep. across. I mean, amazing. So people should definitely check that out and check out Folds of Honor as well. I mean, what a cool experience to, to have and beat the world record. Is this in the Guinness Book of World Records now? Is this Or is this just like a world yes. record? It was an official, official Guinness, so we broke four records. There was a six-continent record, which I was unaware of, uh, until we broke that when we were in UAE, which okay. was our sixth stop. Uh, and then a seven continent record as well. And so the four records come from there's an individual record and then a tandem skydiving record as well. So we had a tandem master and a tandem passenger who did a jump at each of those locations. So they hold two and then the remaining individual jumpers uh, aggregate the record across them. What did you have to do for, for Guinness? Did you have to have somebody like from Guinness there or sign off on it? Oh, really? 
It's just a- here's what Guinness wants. Yeah. Cash. Yeah. Those of you who can't see the motion that I'm making with my hands because you're audio only, they want money. Interesting. Oh, <laughs> man. Navy Federal Credit Union. Navy Federal Credit Union is here to help military members and their families tackle home ownership during this high rate market. With their new no refi rate drop option, if you buy your next home now and mortgage rates drop later, you could lower your rate by paying a low fee instead of refinancing and paying thousands in closing costs. They offer mortgage options with zero down payment, so you don't need to wait years to save. Also, planning any travel this summer? Navy Federal Flagship Credit Card treats members to our highest rewards and premium benefits. Flagship makes it easy to rack up rewards with higher points on travel, including everything from tolls to terminals. Earn a bonus 40,000 points when you spend 4,000 in the first 90 days. Plus, enjoy a free year of Amazon Prime. At Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Learn more at NavyFederal.org. Federally insured by NCUA, membership required, equal housing lender. Terms and conditions apply, loans subject to approval and eligibility requirements. Open to the armed forces, the DOD, veterans, and their families. As of 5-1-2023, the rates for flagship are 14.74% to 18% based on credit worthiness. ATM fees for cash advances are up to $1 at non-Navy Federal ATMs, a $49 annual fee for Visa Signature Flagship Rewards. NavyFederal.org. Well, another record, uh, Dean Stott, so SBS guy uh, from the UK, he went mm-hmm. from the southern tip of South America all the way up to uh, to Alaska on a road bike and broke a record. Why, Why would you do that? He, once again, he's raising money for, for a, a veteran organization. But yeah, he pedaled. Yeah. He was on the podcast. He was on on, uh, on my podcast a little while ago, and he has a book. And anyway, uh, amazing guy, really cool guy. I think he lives in lives in Los Angeles now, but uh, really cool dude. But yeah, he pedaled. That's serious. I'm all about bikes of every kind, but I prefer the type that have horsepower. Yeah, yeah, not foot yeah. power. No, no. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, they're out around here right now. Do you have the the bikers in full on spandex up there that are all over the place? Do they have their U.S. Postal jersey on? Like it's 17 different Tour de France teams, all Uh from like probably (laughs) stay-at-home dads and moms just like flipping you off because you're like anywhere near their bike lane. Uh Uh-huh. I saw a meme not too long ago. It was hilarious. It had a guy on a bike, and he was all, you know, decked out in the super spandex stuff. And on his back, it said, vegan cyclist. And the meme said, when you're not hated enough. (laughs) Seriously, that is a really good way to layer on some hate. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah but also why do you need to put that on your jersey yeah you know what is that what what does that say about that person like one of those can't things. You be a vegan one of those like things. i put on anything that i wear like i love hamburgers you know <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of that going around these days oh my gosh yes. but uh oh man but um bronco how's that bronco running <laughs> ford will probably hate me for this but had an interesting experience at freeway speed. All six lud nuts on the left rear tire. Did they shear? Yeah, I had that same thing happen to me. But sheared and the tire would have separated from the vehicle, but somehow it stayed on and just completely rolled around inside of the wheel well. I was barely able to get it off to the side of the road. And guess where I stopped? Directly in front of the Ford dealership in Kalispell is where that thing came off. No way. 
So you had that happen to you? I did. And this, so I had the tires changed out. What year? Hold on though. What year Bronco? It wasn't a Bronco. It was my old Dodge uh, Ram okay. before it was just Ram. And that was in Virginia beach. And I took it to a place called, I want to say it was called like King Tire, but right there near the entrance to, to damn neck. And uh, they put on, I was like, I'm putting 30 new 35s on. Right. So boom. So I do mm -hmm. that, throw the new 35s on right before I drive across country. And uh, so I'm driving across to uh, language school at DLI. And what happened was they put either, I mean, I get this wrong. So the, the gearhead people will know it's, it's one way or another tapered lug nuts and non-tapered holes or vice versa, something along those lines. Yeah. And so they, they started, they shook a just a tiny, tiny bit. Like you couldn't tell by driving, but it's building up heat. And then they sheared and the tire yeah. flew off into the woods. I hit the ground was sliding along the freeway at like whatever speed I was going, you know, got it over to the side, but didn't flip. And it was the front, front left tire. I think it was. That's, that that's way more dangerous because you're going to lose directional control with that. It was crazy. Uh, and but I had just gotten back like, from Iraq from 2006 deployment. And I was like, yeah. wait a sec, all that stuff there. And this is how I'm going to go. <laughs> and uh, I mean, uh, but I think it was because of the, is that what happened to you? That they had the wrong lug nuts and the wrong type of. No, see, so I got uh, the Bronco I have is the wild track version. And I waited two years for the thing. Um, and I get it. And it's a cool vehicle. It's smaller than I thought it was going to be, yeah. but I, I didn't even get the chance to test drive one before I bought it because there was no inventory to test drive. And at first, like I went from driving, I have a Dodge as well. And I got into the Bronco. I was like, this is a clown car. And now I really like it because it's super nimble. Mm -hmm. Actually, it gives you a lot of accessibility, but I wanted to lift it up a little bit. So I put a three inch lift kit on it and uh, went from 35 inch tires to 37s, but they're on the same rims that it came with stock. So mm. I took it to a company in town and all they did was take the stock rim, take the 35 off, put the 37 on, and they put the same lug nuts back into the same hole. So it's factory lug nuts, factory rims. Um, and I think they either over torqued it or under torqued it, but either way I've had like a lug nut loosen up on me before. Like you go and you're like, Oh shit, I'm missing a lug nut. I got out of the vehicle and I, it started moving around on me a little bit right before it went. And so I, I had taken my foot off the gas oh, wow. and then it was like, boom. And it, it, so it went all at once, but I got off and there was not a single lug nut that remained. They completely sheared off. Wow. That, yeah, well, that's the same thing that happened to me, but I took it to a place where I thought they knew what they were doing. Cause that's what they do. You think they and, would know it's their core competency, right? Uh, yeah. And, uh, so, so I don't think it was, uh, I don't think it was the local guys. Um, because they looked it up, there was a recall from Ford specifically about checking the torque on Bronco tires at 100 miles and at 500. I got zero information from Ford of any kind about that. Oh, wow. That's so fortunately, crazy. you and I both have been to a shit ton of driving schools. So I was like, okay, we're going to work our way through this. Yeah. And fortunately, it was a rear tire instead of a front tire. So I still had directional control, but not awesome. So to answer your question, I'm kind of enjoying the Bronco. Now, yeah. anytime I hit a pot, I'm like, did the tire come off? Yeah. Dang. <laughs> so they put the, they, they just put it back on, did the, torqued them the right. Factory lug nuts, thing. factory wheels. Oh, gosh. Yeah. For mine, I just kept it. I was very calm and just like, well, I'm not going to turn. I'm just going to hold this straight yeah. and take my foot off the gas and just ride this thing out as, uh, as it just grinds into the, into the road. Um, but yeah, it was like the cop that pulled up and a few minutes later was like, man, you were lucky. Uh, when this happens, usually uh, in a 
in a truck like that that doesn't have any weight in the in the back yeah. they usually go um and i just yeah held it just held it straight and just kind of coast not didn't coast we just <laughs> you know but that was crazy that was 2000 2006 um but man that was wild but bronco okay well it's working now tires are on Tires are on. I got a rooftop tent on top of that thing. Uh, you know, I got like the Dometic fridge in the back. I got, it's cool. I want to, mm. what I will say is this, if anybody's like looking at a Bronco and you have a family of four, don't buy the Bronco. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's awesome. Like I look at it for like Leah and myself or, uh, myself and one of my kids. Yeah. Um, I got, you know, a bunch of stuff on the back of the seats, just like, you know, medical, you know, Glover's actually a little backpack system that you can zip down the field craft system. It would be tight if you had four people, but for like a two person off road, get out and just go explore. Amazing. Nice. Nice. Awesome. Man. How's uh so change agents, uh, how many episodes is there so far and have any, what guest has stood out to you, um, as far as something that you learned that you didn't expect going in? Cause sometimes you have an expectation of a guest yeah. or whatever like that. And you're, and it meet, and you like kind of talk about the things you thought you were going to talk about, but had any of them taken a, a turn where you were like, wow, that's incredible or something that stands out. I mean, I, I've, I've been surprised by not surprised. I've learned something new on every single one of the episodes. And the cool thing is, you know, ironclad, the production company, that same thing that produces your podcast as well. Uh, I agreed to do it because they do the legwork to find the guests. Mm. And so far they have found people like and on issues that quite frankly, had never even hit my radar. Yeah, Like I, I had never thought about where we get the batteries for our devices until yeah. I talked to Sid Hearth, you know, and it's, it's, it's spanned the gambit from, you know, human trafficking, sex trafficking, access to water, what happens to the clothing um, that we wear when it's taken to goodwill because people take it to goodwill and they think that, Hey, I'm doing the right thing, which I'm not saying they're not, but about 90% of that ends up in a third world country landfill. I didn't know that. Really? Right. Yeah. It's, you know, and if you go to a, a goodwill and I'm not trying to single out goodwill, it's just, again, a common term that um, people can apply broadly. There's a reason why a lot of stuff is compressed and binned outside. Hmm. It's not because they're planning on reselling it in the local store. Uh, you know, kleptocracy, what happens when governments transfer billions of dollars to dictators, you know, shockingly enough, it doesn't all go where they say it's going to. <laughs> what? Oh yeah. I know. Like weird. Don't go clutching your pearls. Don't be so shocked. <laughs> you know, <laughs> weird. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, I just did an episode yesterday with, uh, Pete, the founder of origin Maine. you know, and talking about how much of the production from a soft goods perspective has been outsourced to China and the mills and the impact that it had and how little of the, the technical knowledge actually remains in the U S like there are some things that some companies have outsourced that were founded in, in the United States that they actually couldn't build in the United States anymore because they no longer have the technical knowledge. Yeah. Um, and I think we, I think we have in the can like 20, one of them done first yeah. season was going to be 25 i think i don't know yeah. i don't i don't haven't even paid attention or counted but you know yeah. you know people wrongfully imprisoned yeah uh, homelessness in la specifically around uh you know veterans so just poaching just poaching one um yep. that was super interesting that was a close tie to one of your books obviously yeah yeah very close uh closely tied uh pete i think origin they've done a really good job of telling that story 
on yep. on social channels so people are at least uh, aware that hey this stuff is made in America and it's kind of dirt to shirt made here and there were skills that have been lost that they're revitalizing through that company and so I think they've done a really good job of of telling telling that story they looked at the battle space I think as well um, and uh, and figured out how to how to capitalize on these different platforms to to yep. really really get that that point across but um, man and they uh, partnered with the right people you know it's yeah. I wish. I wish telling somebody that the impact that outsourcing production and manufacturing has on a on this country from an economic and security perspective would be enough. I worry that people don't care. It's almost how you tell the story mm-hmm. at this point to get people's attention. Yeah. Like there's the message and then there's the, de- the delivery. And you have to have both. Otherwise, people are like, yeah, whatever. Uh, so you've had somebody on talking about sex trafficking, both on change agents and on your podcast, I think maybe a couple different people on, on your podcast. Um, so on ClearDot, I've had the Deliver Fund people on multiple times because they are based right up here in Whitefish. So it's very easy. Nick McKinley is the CEO of that organization, came from the uh, 24th STS World PJ mm-hmm. CCT pipeline. Um, and then, yeah, we had Glenn on on for Change Ages. He was actually the first episode. And man, those ones suck to actually record because yeah. you it, it's just a topic that is I don't know how you any I don't know how you get anywhere near that topic without it just making you nauseous. Yeah. It's like how do you even like hey, uh we need to sit down and have a conversation about a really important issue and everything about this conversation is going to suck. Yeah. And it's about the depravity of human beings and how shitty we are to each other as a species. So, here we go. Yeah, it's the worst <laughs> thing you can possibly I mean, imagine and uh yep. I've intentionally stayed away from it in my novels thus far cuz I don't want to do the research. Like I'm aware of what's going yep. on. I respect everybody that's out there. That's uh, going to, whether well, they go, going to Thailand going to these different places and doing things in this country, going to Mexico as well, doing all these yeah, different things. Yeah. Unfortunately, you don't, you have, don't have to, to go all the way there. Georgia. Yeah. So where I live in Northwestern Montana, uh, I don't even know the difference between a city or a town population wise, but the city of Kalispell, we have an ICAC program, internet crimes against children. There's a sheriff's deputy, if not multiples and probably from KPD as well, Kalispell police department, where that's what they do. Yeah. Why? Because they have to. Yeah. That's I mean that's right here in the US. You're like you don't even have to travel. It's one of, you know beautiful thing about the internet is how much information you have access to and the connectivity and the horrible thing about the internet is all the information you have access to and the connectivity. Yeah. And people can weaponize it just like they're doing to traffic kids and that's just yeah uh, eventually i'll probably have to research it for some one of these novels but i'm definitely not looking looking forward to it uh, we know people that are out there that have devoted their post-military lives to uh to to rescuing these kids um yeah. and that's a this is tough one to, to exactly that's it's, it's a tough one to uh did you do any research before you do those podcasts or you just jump in and, and have a conversation by the time i sat down with glenn i had sat down with the deliver from people about three times. Yeah, so I felt comfortable being able to talk through that ecosystem. Yeah. But honestly, man, for you, for your novel, pay somebody to do the research and write for you a, an executive summary. Yeah. So you, you don't look to, at that. So you don't have to spend like three months just immersed in it. That's a good idea. I haven't done Say it. No, Jack. Say no. Oh yeah. <laughs> I'm working <laughs> on it. I'm working on it. Uh, I'm not getting any better at it. I don't think, but I, but just because of the sheer numbers coming in, uh, yep. it's impossible to keep up. So by default, I'm saying no, by not seeing these emails because there's just so many come through. Perfect. And so, Perfect. yeah, working on it, working on it. I know I'll, I'll give you a report next time we, we talk. I'll, yeah. 
Ugh. You don't need to. I know what it's going to be. I'll be like, <laughs> I zero time off. I say yes to everything. Ugh. Even though you clearly have told me to say no, and I refuse to listen. Ugh. I get it. I, I I'm here for it. I'm here for Man. the show. Man. Uh, and you know what? Also, like these guys, like police officers, like you just mentioned, people in Kalispell, well, people at FBI, you know, wherever that focus on that. I think they, I mean, have you talked to anybody about the, they must have some high rates of burnout and uh, like post-traumatic stress just from, just from being involved in that, even well, if it's just on the periphery. And I think that's what people Ugh. probably don't realize. You know, there's the crimes that are horrendous, but imagine where your job is like these people at the ICAC where their job is to sift through this stuff. So they are being exposed to it. And I believe, I believe there are some technology adaptations that they can use where it obscures, you know, like they yeah, can see okay. what they need to see, but they're not just being bombarded. But uh, even that I am sure there are plenty of times where they are exposed front and center to it. And that's their job day in and day out. I mean, the burden associated uh, with that. I think it just takes a special kind of person, um, but I don't care how special you are. You need to be doing some like mental hygiene, yeah. mental sanity work to make sure that that is not just overwhelming. Yeah. How about judges and juries? And I, yeah. I, you know, I don't wonder, I wonder how much is obscured when you have a, a jury um, when it's at that I don't know stage. how often they go to a judge and jury trial. You yeah. know, when it comes to in the internet and the volume of information and the ability of organizations to gather information. I think by the time that they roll these people up, yeah. oftentimes they're going to plea it out yeah. or accept the charges against them. So I don't, I don't actually think it goes to a judge and jury that often due to the volume of information that they have against them. Yeah, probably in any, any, uh, jury is going to probably, they're, they're not going to be like, you know what? Yeah. We should just Death. go plead your case. They're hey, I like the fill in the blank, but they're like, no, you're going to get absolutely crucified and yeah. maybe drug out in the street and beaten to death with a blunt ax handle, Yeah, which for clarity, I would volunteer to do that job. Yeah. Oh man. Jace. All right. Cleared hot, uh, and change agents. Yeah. When people ask you and they're either like leaving the military or wanting to go in the military, have you, what have you learned over the last few years that you pass on that are some of your, and, and now in business with Black Gravel Coffee and having the coffee shop and all the mm. things that you've done since leaving the military to include CrossFit and flying yeah. and everything. When, when people ask you for advice, what do you, what do you kind of, is there a default that you pass along when guys are either getting out or starting their journey? It depends on how they phrase the question and, yeah. you know, where they are in the story arc of their life. Uh, for people getting out, I just, I, I recommend to them that they do what likely neither you or I, well, actually you or I are a little different because you kind of, you had identified what you wanted to do when you had gotten out. And I think that's the mistake that a lot of people make in the military is they focus a lot on getting into the military and the job that they want to do. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I remember grabbing my DD-214 from North Island and leaving the gate and going, huh. If only I had put much, as much planning into what I was going to do next <laughs> as opposed to what I was going to do first. Yeah. And I'm not saying don't do your job. I'm saying identify at some point in time that, hey, this is going to end. I don't care if you're the bullfrog. Which What do you think the record was for the bullfrog in the teams? Like 30? No, I think 30? more than that. I think we have somebody at like 30, almost 37 right now. I think yeah. I think we can say his name because I think he's been – well, maybe one of, Joe. First name Joe. Uh, Perfect. Just in case. Leave it at that. Yeah. But I think, I think he's the bullfrog time, right now. That's, yeah. That's going to end, right? It will end for everybody, regardless of what you do in the military. And let's take the normal career, which is 20 years. Don't wait to 19 years and six months to start thinking about the next. I just would say be aware that 
what you are doing in the military is that. It's yeah. your occupation. It's what you do. It's not who you are. And at some point in time, it will end and the machine will go on without you, regardless of how much they tell you they can't survive. If you leave, they will immediately source uh, another heartbeat and put it into your role and they're yeah. going to be just fine. So what do you want to do with the remainder of your life? I mean, I joined when I was uh, 17, left for boot camp when I was 18. I'm sure you were a uh, similar boat. It's like, okay, if I did 20, I'm 38 years old. Like, first off, I never thought I was going to live that long. And now I'm 45 looking back going, man, I wish I could go back to being 38 years old. Yeah. There's a lot of life in front of you after your military service. So think about that. And also the military is going to get their pound of flesh. Mm-hmm. You should be sure to get yours as well. Take advantage of every opportunity and program that is available. And the military is not designed to like throw those into your face and educate you about them. It is on you to educate yourself about the options that are available with military service. So do so. And then for people who are asking about going in, um, I usually just ask them why, you know, what is it, you know, what do you want to do and why, what is it that you're looking for? And I have never tried to talk anybody out of it. Um, And if they ask direct or specific questions, I just give them an honest answer. You know, I think, a lot of people look at the the global war on terror and they think that if they join in the modern era, that that's what they're going to be getting into. And I think the objective reality is that they're not. I don't know if we'll ever have uh, other wars like that. And you and I were either extremely lucky or we were extremely unlucky, uh, depending on the optic that you use in our time and service. But if you if your whole military goal and purpose and pursuit is to end up in a place like Iraq or Afghanistan, and that's what you want to go into the military for, you might be wildly underwhelmed with your career because the world may not present you with those opportunities. So understand your why and what it is that, uh, what it is that you actually want to accomplish out of your career and just go into that with your eyes wide open. That's just what I tell people. Yeah. The, uh, the job is to be prepared to go to war. Uh, not to actually go to war, but to be as prepared as you can possibly be for when that call comes. And it's not going to come if you are a stockbroker, but if you are in the military and you're in special operations and you're as prepared as you possibly can be, well, that's, that's going to be your way to get to a place like Iraq or Afghanistan, if that's where you want to be and what you want to do. So, I mean, you have to go in and, uh, and just be prepared. That's the, that's the job is to be prepared. Um, but yeah, I think I look at it as we had a, I mean, obviously depending on your, your, uh, your situation, but I got extremely fortunate with the decisions that I made downrange. So I sleep very well at night. I could have easily gone the other way. Um, but, uh, I look at it being very fortunate coming in, wanting to serve, having nine 11 happen, um, during our early days and then having that run. And it was a good, it was a good run. But, uh, at this stage, I'm glad to be on the outside looking in, especially with what these guys have to deal with today and uh maybe some political pressures or whatever else i mean i don't know how you deal with that after the guy or for the leaders just keep them focused on the task at hand and being as prepared as they can possibly be but with all these inputs that we didn't have constantly bombarding i mean you're yeah. gonna think about some of those pressures and some of those decisions at higher levels it's just there's no way there's no way around it but you just gotta stay focused at the task at hand preparing yourself uh, to to be the best operator and leader you can possibly be but i did get to go down to the new seal compound in uh south of where where we were closer to imperial beach and it's awesome have you been down there i forget if you no and okay. i'll never go because they didn't invest that time energy and effort in us so fuck them. <laughs> 
So I went to a retirement ceremony uh, on uh, on May 5th, Cinco de Mayo, which was quite fitting uh, for our, our friend who retired. And it was pretty cool. It was, I mean, it was, uh, it was like a college campus. It was obviously yeah. fairly new and it looks, it feels like a college campus. Did you go to the new embassy in, um, in Baghdad? Like the, nope. in, so that thing, so not where it was like the, uh, the coalition provisional authority green zone. It was just, you know, buildings and palaces and that, but then they started building. And so by 2011, I don't know when it opened up, but it was for, by 2011, for sure it was built and it felt like a college campus. And uh, I had a very similar feeling when uh, when I went down to the new compound. But the pool is incredible. They have all the, the teams are incredible. The high bays. I mean, they got to design this thing just on a flat piece of land. They didn't have to morph any buildings or remodel anything. They got to build this thing from the ground up. And it's are uh, they going to move training there, too? And by that, I mean, just buds. Or is that going to remain sorry. separate? I think that remains separate. I'm pretty sure. Not That's only. what I'm talking about. Yeah, it should. It, it's good to have that separate and aspire to get to this other yeah. place that you've just heard about. I mean, it was, it was close enough when we were going through training and people at team five were launching water balloons as us, <laughs> as we were running by. It's fantastic. Like, now you get court martial for that. Oh, hundred percent. Your career is over. <laughs> Done. Egregiously assaulted. That's a right. Student uh-huh. With a latex weapon <laughs> filled with water. Mm-hmm. You piece of shit. Mm-hmm. You, how dare you not live up to the seal ethos? That's so right. I That's apologize. right. Apologize. Um, yeah, seriously, that's not the number of things that happened to me that would ruin people's <laughs> career when I was a new guy. Now, let me say this. I deserved every one of them. Mm-hmm. I definitely wrote that check. Other people just cashed it. But it's wild, man. What would happen yeah. to somebody in the modern era? Uh, the things that were done to us. Yep. No, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And that, and that's kind of a thing like, you know, it was cool to be on that team five compound and to realize yeah. that, that when it was UDT, people were still on that compound and you're these little Quonset hut things, which were like trailers with no wheels that were kind of propped yeah. up on cinder blocks. And that was your platoon space. And then you had some other Connex boxes that were filled with gear, you know, that cats were living in rats were in there. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was, it was cool. I mean, it was awesome. It was so cool. Uh, and now everything is very clean. Very tidy, yeah. uh, very well thought out, extremely professional. Uh, it's different. I'm not saying one's better. I like how we came in. Uh, and I mean, I, like- I am. I'm saying what we were doing was better. I'll be happy to <laughs> draw the line in the sand on that. Yeah. And and then I like that we got to see that change. I like to see that, that we had pre-war for uh, a year or two. And then September 11th happened. We got to be part of that morph along with all the families because no one had experienced this before. It had been a long time since Vietnam. And those blowouts to places like Mogadishu and Grenada and Panama were were, were flashpoints for maybe even a specific platoon or even a smaller element, perhaps. Uh, and to have the entire community mobilized for 20 years of war, but be a part of that change and figure it out uh, and have those two very different models from pre-September 11th to after, that was a cool time to be in. Um, and not to say you that- just reminded me of something, not to interrupt you. So I was listening to you on with Joe and you were talking about what's Hooten's, uh, is it bourbon that he has? Yeah, American whiskey. Yeah. Okay. So in Black Hawk Down, the actor, it's uh, Eric, Eric Bannon, right? The yep. Have you ever asked- Hoot, if the this is my safety actually occurred or did they write that in? <laughs> I'll ask him because he's going to come on the, the podcast here at some at some point. So that's such an awesome for, for I think for a lot of people, that scene would be like, why would they include that? I you have to ask. I'll like ask I have him. to know, did that actually happen or is there a little bit of a 
artistic creation in there. I'll text him. I'll is, text him after this, and I'll shoot you the answer. Yeah, I'll, okay. I'll, I'll text him after this and get you an early answer, so you don't have to wait. But okay. uh, but yeah, what a cool thing for people to do. And I love like that they, they make cigars, they make whiskey because they love cigars, they love whiskey. They've yep. created this thing post military, uh, and it's cool to be involved with it. So um, yeah, for those that uh, that are listening, yeah, uh, hoot. From Black Hawk Down, played by Eric Bana, is Norm Hooten in real life. Although he says that there, with that character, was a you know conglomeration of different people um, that Eric Bana. They have to do that there. though. People yeah. don't understand how. I mean, there's so. I mean, what was that movie? Two. Let's say it was two and a half hours. Yeah. I mean, that battle raged for 36 hours. I'm sorry. There's going to be some things that are going to hit the cutting room floor. Yeah. Like I mean, you could have spent the entire movie on the Medal of Honor recipients making the decision to as a team of two literally yeah. go sacrifice their lives for Chicago somebody else. Gordon. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's a, yeah, that, that movie and that, and, uh, uh, 13 hours, like those two movies stand out to me. You haven't seen it. It's, mm. it's the only one that made me for half a second want to get back in. And then I, it was only half a second though. And then I came to my senses, but, uh, they did a good job of showing what it's like kind of to be out kind of on your own, uh, the, the, the agency side of being attached to an embassy. And anyway, they did a really good job with, uh, with that one. I thought, um, just portraying it overall, but, um, but yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll ask hoot, but what a good, what a, a solid dude. Yeah. God, man. 11 guys get out and, uh, and just find that thing that they love and then knock it out of the park. Um, just like, totally agree. like it's Evan, awesome. like Evan Hafer. I mean, he yeah. loves coffee. So what did he do? Started a coffee company. Uh, you know, awesome. I love that yep. when guys get out. What do guys guys do? Love knives. Okay, get out. Start half face blades. Awesome, Andrew Arbito. Uh, you know, I love when guys do that. Centurion Arms. Monty gets out. He loves he loves ARs and loves tinkering yep. around with those things. So he starts Centurion Arms. So I love when people identify that thing that they love and then they make that 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 passion and their mission and boom off they go to the races post military. Um, so yeah, that's uh, I love those examples. You know, and Jocko, do same thing. Leadership. That's his thing. So what do you do? Started a leadership company, and uh, obviously has a bunch of other things that that support that now. How's that going for him? Is it going okay? I heard it was just like a startup. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll text him and see how it's going after after yeah. this. Uh, I'll get back to you in seven years because he's so busy. <laughs> no, he's got a lot going on. That's uh, yeah, yeah, man, awesome, brother, awesome. Well, I'm gonna let you go because we're at an hour, but uh, man. I appreciate you taking the time and I hope we can get up there and, uh, and link up and sign some books. We can both sign. It'll be the one time when people can get us both together and we can, we can sign the books together. What happens if people want me to sign more than they want you to sign? Are you emotionally prepared for that? I am. I am. Emotional okay. Cause I've thought a lot about it. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm prepared. I'm just going to keep ordering those coffees, those pour overs. No, we'll All make right, it happen. That'd be awesome. And, uh, maybe even get on a ride at, uh, at some That'd point, be sweet. as long as you keep it at like 45 miles an hour there's so many beautiful scenic like yeah. straight up uh you know pavement roads up here like we can it's the beauty of where i live you can be as casual as you want or yeah. you can go well over the front of your skis if you yeah. choose to yeah you know what we did go to um sturgis gosh 2013 something like that so still in flew flew out didn't didn't ride out there so yeah. for the purists um yes i did cheat a little bit landed and a uh, guy had bikes for us there which was awesome and uh now i see why people keep going back there year after year after year because there are so many amazing rides it is so yeah. beautiful uh so highly well, not only they're amazing going. rides they maintain them they have like a whole team that goes out and they like sweep the road like it's it's a if you're into that thing yeah. that's the place yeah. And I've never been, but I've heard great things about it. Yeah, I recommend going, recommend, uh, I think I've outgrown the camp 
like doing the camp thing. So we had, we stayed in this guy's house that overlooked, actually overlooks a national cemetery there, or not if it's a national cemetery. Anyway, it's, it's a, like a veteran cemetery overlooks that mm-hmm. uh, right before you get into town. And we had an amazing experience out there, uh, drove the road King and uh, loved it. Had a blast out there. So I highly recommend getting out there, even if it's not during Sturgis, but getting out there maybe before or after and checking out those rides. Cause uh, yeah, it was, that was a really cool experience. We'll go back. We'll go back. Cool, man. Awesome, brother. Awesome. Wait, take care. And I'll see you at the coffee shop soon. I like it. Bye, man. Have a good one. Take care. This is Jack Carr, and I want to talk to you about Schnee's boots. If you followed me for a while, you know what a big fan I am. This pair right here is the same pair that I've been wearing for over a decade now. And these are the ones that I wear when I want to come out heavier than I went in on a backcountry hunt. So I love these things. They are awesome. Absolutely awesome. And I have a bunch of different kinds of boots. They're pack boots. Um, and to go check them out at schnees.com, S-C-H-N-E-E-S.com. Schnees Mountain Boots are handmade in their Italian factory located in the foothills of the Italian Alps. Each boot is made from the absolute highest quality materials available, from the fine leathers to heavy-duty hardware and Vibram outsoles. They only sell direct to you without the middleman markup. This means they can put higher quality materials and craftsmanship in every boot. So you get more boot for your money. They are also all backed by Schnee's industry-leading customer service and support. When you call them, you'll talk to someone right there in Montana that actually wears the boots. So be sure and give them a call. They have a lot of options out there. Find the right boot for you. Definitely check them out. If you head over to schnees.com, S-C-H-N-E-E-S.com, you can score up to 30% off your new pair of mountain boots. You heard that right. You can save 30% off any pair of regularly priced Schnee's mountain boots. Use promo code JACK23, J-A-C-K-2-3. That's schnees.com, S-C-H-N-E-E-S.com. JACK23 is the promo code. Enjoy those boots. Black Rifle Coffee Company. You can help Black Rifle Coffee raise $1 million to benefit veterans through the boot campaign. All you need to do is grab a can of ready-to-drink coffee online or from your local grocery or convenience store. The boot campaign is one of the most renowned veteran-focused nonprofits in the country, working tirelessly to provide life-changing aid and benefits to service members and their families. Join forces with Black Rifle in the boot campaign from May through the end of the year where every can of ready-to-drink coffee you buy will contribute to making this massive donation possible. Black Rifle Ready-to-Drink Coffee is available in several great-tasting flavors on the Black Rifle Coffee website at your local convenience or grocery store. And no matter where you are, you can fuel your caffeine fix while supporting veterans. Every time you crack open a can of ready-to-drink, you'll be making a huge difference in the lives of veterans and their families. Black Rifle Coffee is committed to serving the veteran community and with your help, we can all continue to make a difference. Let's raise a can together to keep fueling Americans for a good cause. Check out blackriflecoffee.com slash dangerclose and use code dangerclose20 at checkout for 20% off your purchase and your first coffee club order. Blackriflecoffee.com slash dangerclose. Drink up. Welcome to the gear highlight portion of the Danger Close podcast. Going to start off today with the Sig Sauer P210 Carry Custom Works pistol. And this thing is awesome. A lot of history here. And there's a very similar pistol that I use 
to my latest novel, Only the Dead. That one's customized by Bruce Gray. This one right here you can find on the Sig Sauer website. And whew, this one just feels nice. I gave one away in my monthly giveaway for May. And you can go to my Instagram. That's at Jack Carr USA. First Monday of every month I do a giveaway as a way to say thank you for people who have watch the podcast, listen to the podcast, bought the book, listened to the book, read the book, uh, and followed me and engaged on social channels. So it's just a little something that I can do to say thank you. So first Monday of every month on Instagram, those will drop with details on how to win. All right, what else? This blade right here, Dom Rosso, Dynamis Alliance, former teammate of mine at SEAL Team 2 back in the day, and look at that right there. Dom created this amazing dive knife, crusheverything.com. If you type in Dynamis, that'll pop up as well. And this thing just feels solid. Uh, Dom, thank you so much for sending this to me. Number seven of a limited edition run. So check these out. He put a lot of time, energy, and effort into making this incredible dive knife. So check it out. It is awesome. Crusheverything.com. Dom, thank you so much. Called the Neptune Blade. All right. What else is going on here? Right here, africansportingcreations.com. Courtney boots. You might recognize these as well from the novels. Rafe Hastings wears these where Reese prefers the Solomons. Uh, Rafe Hastings prefers his Courtney's. And I've had a few different Courtney boots, but these ones are the first time I've had Courtney shoes. So very cool. Thank you so much, Jim, over at African Sporting Creations. Go to africansportingcreations.com. A lot of history with these Courtney's as well. So uh, check these out, Jim. Thank you, my friend. Very cool. All right. Black Rifle Coffee Company. The Roast Warrior. Look at that right there. I got to fire some of this up to uh, get me through the rest of the day. So check them out right there. Dog bowl. If you don't have one of these dog bowls right here, made by Yeti for your dog. Well, maybe you just don't love your dog as much as others. Just kidding. That's not true at all. But right here, this thing is a solid dog bowl. And uh, check it out. You can find these officialjackcar.com. Click on shop in the upper right-hand corner uh, to find all the merch to include. That dog bowl right there. Your dog will love it. And Maui Nui. These guys sent these venison sticks. And I have been chowing down on these things right here. They have a couple different flavors. These are the original right here. Six grams of protein. Maui Nui. That's M-A-U-I. N-U-I, and that's Axis Deer over there, uh, made with 100% wild harvested venison. So Maui Nui, check these guys out. They have a, a bunch of stuff on their website, a bunch of meat you can get also from over there in Hawaii, Axis Deer, and order that up with these venison sticks. Solid. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. And a little whiskey, new flask. So look at this. It's a glass flask right here. Once again, you can go to officialjackcar.com and click on shop in the upper right-hand corner. And this thing is just nice. Man, check it out. It's part of a new summer collection. And what else is happening? This is super cool right here. So these guys right here comes in this awesome box. And I'm going I'm to read this before I do anything else. So right here, it says, all right, guys. So here at Ramsing Watch Company and Douglas Leather Co. We are big fans of history. Lately, we've been exploring the different watches and straps used by Special Operations Forces during the Vietnam War. One piece of kit unique to early SEAL teams in Vietnam was a simple watch strap and leather cover. As a tribute to those early SEALs, 
Ramsing Watch Company and Douglas Leather Company have recreated it. With the help of several experts in the soft community, we have studied surviving examples to offer a recreation that is as close as we could get to the originals. So this is really cool. Regards, Ethan Douglas and Micah Ramsing. And check this out. This is very cool. A little, little watch tool right there. And then here is the watch and the strap. So check out this watch. Look at that. Amazing. And see these snaps right there. Here's the leather that goes on top of it. You can get online and, uh, and follow them on Instagram and find out, uh, see a lot of pictures of people wearing this in Vietnam. So guys, thank you so much. You know I'm a watch person, and this is just really cool, all the time, energy, and effort that you guys put into this. And let me see if I can find the two separate Instagrams that you should be following. And here it is. Uh, at R-W-A-T-C-H-C-O. So that's on Instagram, at R-W-A-T-C-H-C-O. And at the underscore classic underscore outdoorsman. So check them out on Instagram. And very cool, guys. Thank you so much. And this box, the inside of the box, I don't know if you can see this here, but uh, the inside of the box has a lot of thought went into that as well. So thank you guys. I appreciate all the attention to detail and the love of history. And thanks for keeping it alive. Really appreciate this right here. All right. What else do we have here? This bow, man. So somebody on book tour gave me this and uh, I get a lot of whiskey on book tour. I get uh, a lot of honey on book tour, uh, a lot of coins and patches from military, law enforcement, firefighters. Uh, and it is Oh, so sincerely appreciated. I'm going to make a nice coin rack in here and get all of those uh, lined up because they really mean, mean a lot to me. And someone heard me talking about two bows that I got from Isaac Allman. And you can follow Isaac, I-S-A-A-C dot A-L-E-M-A-N. And he gave me two of the Hoyt bows from uh, back in the day in the 80s. They were the Rambo bows. And so I have those, a compound and a recurve. And someone heard me talking about that and showed up with the Rambo Jr. They know I have kids. They know I have a, a young son. And uh, gave me this. So this is really cool. Hoyt Easton, USA, right here. Rambo Jr. So thank you so much. Really cool. Really appreciate that. Awesome. And what else do I have here? Eberly Stock. Check out EberlyStock.com. Glenn Eberly Stock out there. Follow him as well on his adventures. He was on the podcast uh, a little while ago, but this is the pack that Chris Pratt wore in the terminal list. So you can check out my gear guides and go to EberlyStock.com to check out what they have going on. So uh, Glenn Eberly, of course, is an Air Force veteran and Olympian in biathlon and founded Everly Stock. So check them out. And I think that is it for today. Thanks so much. Take care out there. Thank you for tuning in to the Danger Close podcast, an Ironclad original presented by Navy Federal Credit Union. To find out more about Andy Stump and what he has going on, be sure to follow him on Instagram at Andy Stump, and that is S T U M P F 212. Be sure and listen to his podcast, Cleared Hot, wherever you get your podcasts, and Change Agents. You can find that on the Ironcloud YouTube channel, also on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. 
You can follow me on the social channels at Jack Carr USA, officialjackcar.com. That is the website. Click in the upper right-hand corner on shop for the merch. And if you enjoy this conversation, be sure to leave a five-star rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. Until the next time, take care out there. Stay safe. Be strong. Keep fighting. Keep fighting.